Well, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas here at Bel Air Church. And as we gather in this moment, as we go to God's Word, we have an opportunity marching towards Christmas to enter into this Advent season. I want to welcome you to this service again. We are in the middle of it and we're starting a brand new sermon series on the various Christian carols and hymns that actually have profound meaning for us as followers of Jesus Christ. You know, we find ourselves in this season, maybe uh, decorating our homes, maybe out and about hearing Christmas music through the speakers, wherever we might be, or on the cars as we drive around. And yet there are these hymns that we've sung that we know that maybe some of us love, maybe some of us get tired of, that actually have a profound way to ground us, to anchor us, to give us a hope unlike anything else in this Advent in 2020. And boy, of all years, I think this is the year where we need to be reminded of the reason for this season. Now, as we go through each of these hymns on every Sunday leading up to Christmas, we're gonna go through Christmas beyond the Advent season. We'll wrap up on December 27th. Now, we're gonna begin with a very famous hymn that confessionally, I've never loved, honestly. I don't know about you, but um, you know, when I listen to music, I often hear the melody before I hear the words. And so sadly, I kind of write off songs because I don't like the melody. As we get to this song, you know, I've sung it many times. I've heard it many times. I've been part of churches that have sung it. And you know, there's, there's rich words. And yet often because of the melody, I've never personally connected with it. However, as we shall discover today, what I've discovered in the last couple of weeks preparing for this hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. My prayer is that you would be excited, that you would actually hear this hymn with new ears in the same way that I've heard this hymn with new ears. I actually, I love this song now. I was telling my friends earlier today that, I, that this song now has such profound meaning when it comes to the words. And actually I've begun to discover where that melody came from. You know, the melody of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel isn't, isn't poppy, it isn't catchy, doesn't have that hook that we're used to in the 21st century because in its most ancient of forms, it can be traced all the way back to the eighth century. Now, the hymn that we have today, some versions have five verses. Some versions have seven verses. It was translated from Latin into English in the 1800s. There was different versions in the late 1800s and the 1900s. And what I want to do today is not only do I want to tell you about the origin and the significance of what this hymn meant for the early church, but we're also going to walk verse by verse, all seven verses of this glorious hymn. And my prayer is that you wouldn't just hear it differently, but you would find a tremendous hope unlike anything else in the midst of this Advent in 2020. Now, again, it goes all the way back, this melody to the eighth century where reportedly Gregorian monks would sing back and forth these verses. In the seven days that led up to Christmas, Seven verses, seven days, all in preparation for that glorious day where 
the church celebrated the birth of Christ. You know, Advent means arrival. And so they were preparing their hearts and minds and community for a reminder that God has arrived, has come in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, these seven verses back then were referred to as the O Antiphons. And there was this profound sense in the early church where more than three quarters of the Christian community around the globe would sing these O Antiphons. Now, Antiphon is a mashup of two Greek words, anti and phon. Opposite voice. I want you to remember that for a great surprise at the end of the sermon that just unlocks this hymn for me. But I also want you to know right now that the antiphonic singing of this hymn in the early church was meant to be where there would be two choirs singing back and forth, calling back and forth to one another. And so, though we are not in the 8th century, very different world back then, we find ourselves in the midst of 2020, singing about the same God. A call and response that is so profound, that is so powerful, that no matter what you're going through, leading up to this Christmas, a Christmas unlike any perhaps you've experienced in your entire life, on the tail end of this year of 2020, many of you have experienced heartache and sorrow and disappointment in ways that you are still trying to wrap your mind around. My prayer, again, is that these words would give you a hope unlike anything else. Okay, so these seven verses that are referred to as the O Antiphons, I'm going to say it to you first in the Latin. There was seven phrases that began each of these seven verses. The first is O Sapentia, which is the Latin phrase for O wisdom. O Adonai, which is the Latin phrase for O Lord. O Radix Jesse, which is the Latin for O root of Jesse. The fourth, O Clavis David, which is Latin for O key of David. The fifth, O Orions, which is Latin for O dayspring. The sixth begins with O Rex Genitium, which means O King of Gentiles. And then finally, the seventh was O Emmanuel, Latin for O God with us. Now, the modern hymn that we sing is taken the last verse and put it in the beginning. Many of us know that O come, O come, Emmanuel. However, in its most ancient form, that was the last verse. And so what I want to do again is I want to walk through each of these seven phrases, each of these seven verses, and we'll discover right from the get-go that each of these seven phrases, each of these seven verses point to the person of Jesus. This hymn, not only today, but back then, was a plea, an invitation. Oh, Jesus, come. Oh, wisdom, come. Oh, dayspring, come. Oh, root of David, come. Oh, root of Jesse, come. Come, Emmanuel. So listen to this first verse. It's, Oh, come thou wisdom from on high, and order all things far and nigh. To us the path of knowledge show, and cause us in her ways to go. 
Now those Gregorian monks would sing this seven days out from Christmas in preparation for that Christmas day, that celebration of the arrival of Christ. And they acknowledged back then what we need to be reminded of today, that there is a wisdom, unlike any worldly wisdom, that we need to realize we need, that can only come from on high. This wisdom isn't just a set of knowledge. It's not a set of principles. It is actually a person. In fact, in the Proverbs, there's this great truth that wisdom, the Hebrew word is Sophia, has been personified. It's not just knowledge, but there is a person that is wisdom. And we find the fulfillment of that in the New Testament. In fact, Paul writes to the early church in 1 Corinthians 1.24 about Jesus, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God has come. In fact, he goes on in Colossians 2, 2, and 3. He prays, I want their hearts to be encouraged and united in love so that they, all followers of Jesus, may have all the riches of assured understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery. That is, this is the mystery, that Christ himself in whom are hidden all the treasures of the wisdom and knowledge of God. There is this great cacophony of voices that is noise in our world claiming true wisdom. And you have a choice right now in Advent 2020, leading up to Christmas, to not settle for human or earthly wisdom and knowledge, to not buy into the, as Scripture calls it, the foolishness of this world that claims to be wise, to not get caught up in deceitful thinking about who you are, who God is, what this life is all about, to not be uh, led astray by all these things that vie for our attention, but to make a choice in this moment. To pray, oh come, oh come, wisdom. And that invitation that we sing when we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, is an invitation to look beyond our earthly perspective to realize that there is a knowledge, there is a wisdom that can only come from God on high. For some of you who know me well, when you ask me, how can I pray for you, Drew? You know that there's been a constant answer the last seven years that I've been in this role that is a common answer more frequently given to you than any other answer to that question. How can I pray for you, Drew? And it's this. Can you pray that I would have wisdom? We need wisdom right now. How do we wade through all the information, all the perspectives, all the movements of this world? We live in a time where fake news and bias and all these things of... Knowledge competing with one another. All these things that we have to discern through and wade through, and we are overwhelmed, not with the lack of access of knowledge, but too much knowledge to understand what is true and what is not. There is a wisdom that is Jesus. That as we enter in the season of Advent, not seven days out, but weeks out towards Christmas, You can invite again the wisdom of God to come into your life through a relationship with Jesus Christ.
And if you've already put your faith and trust in Jesus, it is this great reminder that while you're trying to make decisions, while you're trying to discern things out in this world, while you're trying to figure out all these things, that you can access that wisdom through the power of the Holy Spirit, asking God, would you give me the mind of Christ? God, would you give me Christ's wisdom in this, in every situation? But that's just the first verse. It goes on. In Latin, it is, O Adonai, which is this invitation, O Lord. Again, there are so many things back then in the 8th century, as is true today, that compete for our lordship, that compete to be on the throne of our hearts, whether it's a person or a thing or an experience, or maybe it's an affirmation from somebody else. Maybe it's a reputation. Maybe it's a, a, a level of accomplishment. There are things that compete to be on the throne of our heart. And there is this invitation that we can lift our eyes up beyond the circumstances of our life and invite, oh Adonai, oh Lord, come Jesus, Lord of my life. This is the, this is the verse, the second verse. Draw nigh, draw nigh, oh Lord of might who to thy tribes from Sinai's height in ancient time didst give the law in cloud and majesty and awe. That second verse of O come, O come, Emmanuel, harkens back to the nation of Israel that encountered Adonai, Yahweh, the Lord, in power, in might, in cloud by day and fire by night, where they receive not only the law, the Ten Commandments, but they also receive their identity and their purpose to be a people that were blessed, to be a blessing for all nations. They experience what it meant to be humbled in the presence and the beauty and the holiness of God and to be lifted up and empowered as God's people, given access to God. Again, as we wrap up 2020, there is this opportunity. There is this choice. And I pray that this hymn is a reminder to you that all the lords in this world, all the rulers, all the authorities, all the powers have nothing to offer you like Christ our King does. In fact, in Romans 10 verses 9 and 10, it gives us this great invitation to confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that both Jesus is Lord and Savior. Jesus is referred to as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I love how in Romans 10, 9, 10, it speaks to Jesus as both Lord and Savior, that there is this tr great truth that Jesus as King, as authority, is also the one that gives us true peace true redemption, that in Christ's kingdom, all are welcome, all are included through faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And the, the values of the kingdoms of this world are turned upside down as God's kingdom comes here on earth as it is on heaven. Would you make this choice in this Advent season leading up to Christmas to choose Jesus as your Lord? Perhaps for the first time, perhaps for the thousandth time, say, Jesus, would you reign and rule in my life? Would I experience your kingship in your kingdom here in my life as it is in heaven? That third verse, again, in the Latin, it begins with, O Radix Jesse. O root or O stem or O rod of Jesse. Here's what's interesting. 
Jesse was the father of David. Now, some of you know about King David's life, a life not lived to perfection, a life where there was a sorrow and heartache and sin. But you might also know that the lineage of Jesse and his son David, and ultimately his son Solomon, uh, began to depart from God's best for their lives. And if you trace the story of the Old Testament, you begin to see that the lineage of David seems to end. There is this generational, almost like a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy that begins to lose the vividness of the original. As the generations went by from Jesse to David and on and on and on, uh, their love for the Lord, their obedience to the Lord, their their identity in the Lord began to to fade away. They began to worship other gods. They began to, to believe other things. They forgot who God was in their life and their community. The nation of Israel began to experience the consequences of that. They went into exile in Assyria and Babylon. And the end of the Old Testament seems like this great lineage has been cut off. Did you know that in the Hebrew language, Root of Jesse can also be translated to stump of Jesse. I don't know if you've uh, ever turned a tree into a stump. But when you watch, whether through a chainsaw or an axe, something tall, something mighty, something that has strength, something that perhaps has shade, that perhaps bears fruit, for whatever reason, is now cut just above the ground to now resemble a shell of itself. There's a drastic difference from a grand tree to a little stump. Perhaps you've seen stumps in backyards, in front yards, in neighborhoods, different places. Often a stump can signify death, cut off the end of something. Listen to this amazing prophecy in Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 3. One day a shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow from its roots. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest on him the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. There's this prophecy hidden in Hebrews or in the Hebrew scriptures in Isaiah 11 that one day there will be out of the stump, out of the seemingly dead lineage of Jesse and King David and Solomon, the thing that seems like it's been cut off, the thing that seems like there will be no life, It will not be replaced. Something new will not be replanted. But out of that death, a little shoot, a little plant will miraculously spring up out of deadness. And the spirit of the Lord will be upon him. 
on that third day towards Christmas, this Gregorian monks would, would chant this verse, a call and response. And it was a reminder to them that God brings life out of dead things. That God can do miraculous things where the world says it is impossible. You know how in the beginning of Matthew, there is the thing that maybe some of us skip over, the lineage of Jesus. Well, when you trace the lineage of Jesus, it does. It actually, it goes all the way back to Jesse. This lineage that seemed to be dead, now Jesus, the Messiah, fulfilling that prophecy has now come and the spirit of the Lord rested upon him. And we have this invitation at the end of 2020 to not look at the world's perspective, to look in our lives, in our neighborhood's lives, in our workplace lives, in our nation's lives, and define a stump as being the end of a thing, the deadness of a thing, when perhaps God wants to do a miracle and not start over, but to bring life out of death. Perhaps this is the first time in your entire life where you feel like your life as a grand tree has been reduced to a stump. This is the great beauty of this hymn that I wrote off for far too long. It's this reminder that God does miracles. He redeems dead things. He redeems our past. He uses even the, the greatest heartbreak to bring his love and his goodness and his joy and his peace and his purpose through. He doesn't erase it all and start afresh. As Romans 8 says that all things God uses for good according to his purposes. So regardless of how 2020 has panned out, would you say, oh, stump of Jesse, oh, root of Jesse, spring up in my life. Bear fruit unlike anything the world can ever give, fruit of righteousness, fruit of the Spirit, May you grow me again, grow me in humility, grow me in courage, grow me in faith, grow me in an ability to, to give shade to people around me. Let's go on to the fourth verse. O clavis David, O key of David. The ancient hymn went like this, draw nigh, draw nigh, O David's key, the heavenly gate will open to thee, make safe the way that leads on high and close the path to misery. There is, of course, in our world, many, many keys, whether it's in uh, metal form or copper form or brass form or stainless steel form, or, or maybe it's the key that is on your credit card. Maybe it's a pass key. Maybe it's your face ID. Maybe it's a thumbprint ID. But we know what it's like to live in a world where certain things require access to get into, the right key code to get into, the right combination to get into. And because we live in this world where there are so many things that separate us from perhaps that that which we want. This metaphor has been built up all the way to the highest of heights to realize that there is this eternal goodness, this eternal treasure. There is this life everlasting that isn't just for the end of our life that we can experience now that requires a key. And in fact, it was referred to 
as a prophecy in Isaiah 22, 22. God says to the prophet Isaiah about the coming Messiah, I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David and he shall open it and no one shall shut it. He shall shut and no one shall open. There is this great truth that the Gregorian monks used to sing back then that we can be reminded of today. That Jesus has the ability to unlock the fullness of what it means to be part of God's family. The fullness of what it means to be in God's presence. The fullness of joy and peace and hope and significance. And that which Jesus opens, no one can shut. And the things that Jesus can shut no one can open. In fact, as it says in John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. In John 10, 10, Jesus says that I am the gate. All who enter through me shall be saved. In this world that is obsessed with access, we can be reminded as we go towards Christmas in this Advent season, as we hear, O come, O come, Emmanuel, that Jesus, the key of David, the key that unlocks all that we could ever long for, has come. And we can sing, O come into my life, come into my heart in the midst of sorrow and heartache and, and an inability to figure out what am I going to do next year in this relationship, in my work? Should I stay? Should I go? That we have access to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, God, through Jesus Christ. Let's move on to that fifth verse. This amazing truth of O Orions, O Dayspring. Here's how the hymn goes. O come, O come, thou dayspring bright, pour on our souls thy healing light. Dispel the long night's lingering gloom and pierce the shadows of the tomb. Maybe some of you remember many months ago, I told the story of a time that I went camping and it was uh, below freezing up in the mountains and we were underprepared. We didn't have the right tents. We didn't have the right pads to sleep on. We didn't have uh, sleeping bags rated for cold enough. And it was one of the most miserable nights of my life. Even my friend trying to stay warm uh, was inside his sleeping bag and somehow tried to fit inside his massive backpacking backpack, thinking that that extra layer was going to keep him warm, watching him try to fit himself into his backpack, inside his sleeping bag with his beanie, and still shivering and shaking. I can feel how cold I was back then, even in this moment. And we, in the middle of the night, could not wait for daylight. We could not wait for the sunrise. We kept looking at our watches and that minute hand was barely moving and we were praying and longing far differently than I normally do when I sleep. When I realized that night what the daylight would bring. Warmth, life, heat, comfort. Those Gregorian monks, of course, lived back in the 8th century, lived uh, long before central heating long before Prima Loft down, you know, long before all the things that could keep them warm and they knew that something happened when light would break forth in the night. 
And it wasn't just warmth. This was also long before Edison and light bulbs, long before all the things that we take for granted, I think, in the modern world today. They knew that, that once the sun came out, they could see. This powerful imagery is actually included in Scripture as well. Listen to this. This is Luke chapter 1, verses 76 through 79. In fact, Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, who was the cousin of Jesus, had the Spirit of the Lord rest upon him in Luke chapter 1, this father of John the Baptist, and he, and he spoke through the power of the Spirit of God. And speaking about John the Baptist, and he says, And you, child, you will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you, John the Baptist, will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins, by the tender mercy of our God. Listen to this. The dawn from on high will break upon us to give us light. To those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Jesus is the light of the world. In fact, in John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And He was light. And that life was the life of all humankind. As we march towards Christmas, as, of course, the physical days are short, perhaps the year 2020 feels dimmer than normal, darker than normal. Perhaps you have an inability to see uh, out in the future as far out as you're used to. This great prayer, this great invitation that these Gregorian monks way back in the day that we sing in O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, is this great invitation that the day spring, that the light of dawn, Jesus, the light of the world would shine into our life, into the darkness of this world, but also into the darkness of our lives, that it would reveal the broken things in our life that we can, through confession, give to Jesus to, to wash clean through his sacrifice. This great invitation to see in Jesus that the world will never truly grow dim because the light of the world has come. Now, verse 6. O rex genitium in the Latin, or O king of the Gentiles. This has actually been kind of softened in the English language. And how we sing the hymn today is, O come, desire of nations. Bind all peoples in one heart and one mind. Bind envy and strife and quarrels cease. Fill the whole world with heaven's peace. All throughout the Hebrew scriptures, there was this prophecy of a Messiah, a king that would come, a king of the Jews that would enable God's reign and God's rule to overshadow all the rule of the Gentiles, all the nations that weren't Jewish. And yet the great surprise, one of the many great surprises of Jesus that came, he wasn't a king just from the Jews and for the Jews. He was a king that came from the Jews for all people. 
And as you go throughout the Gospels, you see that God's heart isn't just for the Jewish people, but it is for all people. That Christ breaks down the barriers that we have erected in our life to say we are in and they are out. And there's this great invitation, O King of Gentiles, O desire of the nations, come, make us one. Knock down all the divides that we have put up in our hearts, in our countries, in our worlds, in our alliances, and all the ways that we try to separate us from them. Oh, desire of nations, oh, king of the Gentiles, come into our life. Bid all envy and strife and quarrel cease. May all nations, may we all rest in peace. Now the seventh. Well, let me... Before we go to the seventh, share with you in Isaiah 9, 6, this great prophecy about the Messiah. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. The authority rests upon his shoulders and his name is called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The authority of the government, the rule, rests upon his shoulders. But again, this is a kingship over all people. He is not only Lord, but he is the King of Kings. May he be the King of your heart today. Okay, now the seventh verse, the, the one that we now in our modern translations have made the first verse. O Emmanuel, Latin for God with us. Draw nigh, draw nigh, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. In Isaiah 7, 14, it says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. Now we see in the Gospels that this one was born and he wasn't given the name Emmanuel, he was given the name of Jesus. And yet Emmanuel means God with us and is this great reminder that the one that has come that we celebrate on Christmas isn't just a great person, isn't just a great teacher, isn't just the founder of a, of a religion. This is God in the flesh. This is God with us. And those Gregorian monks would sing this on the last of seven days in advance of Christmas. Oh, Emmanuel, Come, God with us, come. We need you, we need you now more than ever. Come. But I always find it interesting that we continue to sing a song about one who was born in human history 2,000 years ago. I mean, how can we in 2020 and beyond sing come, come, come? when he already did. Is this song just meant to be sung before the birth of Christ? Or is there something more? And why is it that we can sing the chorus? Rejoice. Rejoice. Emmanuel. This secret that I discovered, it's not really a secret. It was unknown to me. 
has completely exploded my mind considering the beauty and the grandeur and the glory of this hymn. And it answers the question, why do we still sing this song today if Jesus has already come? Why do we still try to invite that which is God with us? Why do we still invite a day spring, a root of Jesse? Why do we invite the king, the Gentiles? Why do we invite a Lord? Why do we invite wisdom? Why, why, why would we do these things? You see, Advent means arrival. And when we read throughout scripture, there is this great truth that Jesus has arrived and Jesus will arrive again. We today in 2020, in the same way that those Gregorian monks did in the 8th century, we live in between two Advents. We live in the mysterious in-between of the already and the not yet. In the same way, we can believe with faith that Jesus historically was born, that Jesus fulfilled the messianic prophecies of the Old Testament, that we can believe in faith that there are so many different proofs that prove the fact mathematically and philosophically and and ontologically in all the different ways that we can prove the existence of Jesus as a historical figure. There is this truth that scripture reveals that Jesus with the same certainty will come again, will arrive again. Remember how I said in the very beginning, these seven phrases in Latin were referred to as O antiphons, opposite voice, a call and response, a back and forth. At a deeper level, there is a response that is given to our invitation, O come. There is a response that is given to Lord come, Emmanuel come, day spring come. And the response isn't from any other human being. The response is from Jesus himself. Again, those seven Latin phrases, those Latin words of sapentia, Adonai, Radix, Clavis, Orions, Rex Genitium, Emmanuel. When you take the first letter of each of those seven words and you flip it and read it in reverse, I mean, this feels deep. This feels mysterious. This feels uh, subversive. This, This feels this hidden knowledge. There is a phrase in Latin. It is two words, and it's this, ero cross. You know what that means in Latin? It means in Latin what Jesus says in response to us when we say come. What that means in Latin is Jesus' response to us whenever we invite Jesus into our life, into our community, into our world. Arrow cross is tomorrow I will come. Did you know that every time you sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, that invitation for Jesus to come, Jesus responds, and would you hear that and would you believe that by faith, that Jesus says, I will come. I have come and I will come. 
Yes, I'm with you now through the power of the Holy Spirit, but there's going to be a day that I will come. And that tomorrow might not look like a 24-hour period tomorrow because a day to us can be like a thousand to God, but I will come, Jesus says. I will finish what I started. As Philippians 1.6 says that we can be confident in this, that God who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. You find yourself in the midst of 2020, whatever's going on, Jesus says in response to, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, he says, I will. And the amazing truth about Jesus being our true wisdom, our true root of Jesse, our true Lord, our true King of Kings, our true everything is that all those verses that are found in the Hebrew Scriptures and the, and the Gospels are also found again in the book of Revelation. In fact, each of those seven phrases of Jesus' wisdom, Lord, root of Jesse, King of David, day spring, King of the Gentiles, and God with us, can all be found in the book of Revelation, which was John's vision of the age to come. I'm going to give you just a few. You've got to find the rest. I'm going to send you on a treasure hunt throughout the book of Revelation. But listen to this. This is Revelation 5, 11 through 12. This is about Jesus as our wisdom. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels surrounding the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And they numbered myriads upon myriads and thousands upon thousands, singing with full voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Jesus, who is our wisdom, will come again. But it goes on. Revelation 19, 16, there is this image of Jesus. When he comes again, he comes with authority, he comes with power, he comes with might. Perhaps you want to read Revelation 19 later on, the full chapter. It is this powerful image of Jesus. And it says about him that on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name inscribed, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus says, yes, oh, I Adonai, oh, I, the Lord, the Lord of Lords, I will come again and make things right. Goes on, Revelation 22, 16. Jesus says, it is I, Jesus, who sent my angel to you with this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. In fact, it goes on, Revelation 3, 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right? These are the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David. All of these things are in Revelation. My mind is blown with this hymn that I blew off for so many years. It is so rich. Jesus has come and he will come again. And all seven of those truths are found not only in scripture, but especially in Revelation where he will come again. But it goes on. This is the last one. Revelation 21 verses 23 through 26. It says in that future day in the new heavens and the new earth, the city will have no need for sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God is its light and the lamp is the lamb of God, Jesus Christ. The nations will walk by his light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. People will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. Oh, come day spring, Jesus says, I will come again. 
And because we live in this space in between, we are not in this space in between left out on our own. No, there's this great truth that while we were in the already and not yet, Christ is in us. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus, the light of the world, the key of David, the wisdom of God, the king of the Gentiles, the root of Jesse, God with us, Emmanuel, dwells in you. And we can experience that by faith. We can allow Christ in us, which is our hope and glory, to to expand in our life as we spend time in God's word, as we spend time in prayer, as we spend time in Christ-centered community. My prayer is that you would know that this is just the beginning of something that will find its completion and its fulfillment and all of its wholeness one day in the future. So, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Christ, because you came and you will come again, we rejoice. We rejoice. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you have come and will come again. That you have started something that you will bring to completion. May we be swept up in you and may when we hear and sing this great hymn, be reminded of the great truth that you respond with tomorrow I will come. That we give the great, solid, hopeful, grand truth that you are already with us through faith. Jesus, we thank you. May we be the type of people that live out of the glorious overflow of that truth. It's in your mighty name we pray. We say together, amen. Amen.